If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series. If you are new with us today, we just started a series last week, so you've only missed one week. We'll catch you up a little bit in a little bit. So, um, in James, what you have is a group of struggling Christians. They're Jewish Christians, Jewish background believers, and in their... Um, with all that's going on in their lives, the persecution has taken over and spread them in a lot of different places. And so they're under a lot of trials and they're wondering, how in the world are we going to live life the way we um, know it now? Because it's very different from how we've lived life in the past. And it made me start thinking about as I was researching, like, what do we do when we don't know what to do kind of thing? Um, I was reading a book uh, called The Wisdom Pyramid. Um, and in it, it referenced a study. And I'm going to give you a stat real quick. And in this stat, it's going to feel really nerdy initially, but I'll explain it, okay? So the stat was this. Uh, so this is an old study. It said by 2020, there would be 40 times more bytes of data on the internet than stars in the observable universe. 40, more, 40 times more bytes of data just on the internet than stars in the observable universe. Like, when I read that, I was like, whoa, that's a lot of stuff, right? Like, when I think of the observable universe, like, I just I walked out of my house early this morning to come up here. It was still dark, and I'm looking at the stars. I'm like, wow, there's so many stars. I can't even see them all, right? But there's 40 times more bytes of data on our internet than stars that we can see in our universe. Like, and it made me think, Man, we have a lot of information. Why are we not more mature in our lives? We're really smart, but are we really wise? Like, we know how to make money, and we know how to incur a lot of debt. We know things about food, things that we should eat. And if you're like me, you still make terrible choices sometimes when it comes to eating food, right? There are so many podcasts, so many articles, so many books on parenting and marriage, yet we still struggle to be good parents. We still struggle to be married. Like, how can it be that we have so much intellectual knowledge and it doesn't seem like we know how to practically live it out in our world? Like maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, that's everybody else. Or maybe you're like the most of, most of us in this room going, yeah, if I could get some more wisdom in my life, it would be a better thing. Anybody ever felt like they lacked wisdom in a situation? Okay, that probably should be all of you raising your hands at this point. Like we've all been there, right? We're like, I don't know what to do in this situation. If you want to be a wiser person, I believe that James, God through James this morning, is going to teach us how to be a wiser person. Not just a smarter person, but how do we become wiser people? So, James chapter 1, we're going to read verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, right here from the front, if any of you lacks wisdom, we got to define wisdom. This is how I would define it. Wisdom is understanding how to practically use truth in life. Understanding how to practically use truth in life. 
You're not just gaining intellectual knowledge with wisdom. That's just, you're becoming smarter, but not necessarily wiser, right? You're, you're gaining understanding, but now you know how to take that understanding and how to practically use it in your life. We're not talking theory. We're not talking something abstract out there. We're talking about the practical and personal use of truth and understanding in our lives. That makes sense? Like, how do we take the truth and actually live it out? Now, we have a great example of this all through the book of Proverbs, but also in King Solomon. King Solomon was David's son. David dies. King Solomon takes over as a young kid. And this is the prayer that King Solomon prays in 1 Kings chapter 3. He says, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. He's going, I need wisdom. I don't know what I'm doing here, God. Verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind, not just an understanding mind, but there's a purpose behind it, to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. How many of you would have love to have that written about your life? You're the wisest person that's ever lived and you're the wisest person to ever live right? That would be an amazing thing to have written about your life. Now, unfortunately, he's the wisest one, so we're not getting to his status, right? But we would like to get pretty close. Like, I would love to be the person who could discern good from evil and know how to put this truth into practice. So, and what it said, when Solomon asked for that, it pleased the Lord. And God took great pleasure in Solomon saying, I need help. I need wisdom here. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know what to do. And you're the one who knows what to do. I'm running to you, God. And God said, it's better than long life. It's better than riches. It's better than military success. You have asked for something that's incomparable in this life. Yet so often we find ourselves going, can I get some more? Can I get some more success? Can I get people to notice me more? Can I get some more money? (laughs) Can I get a longer life? And God's going, whoa, you're asking for small things. Start asking for wisdom. So in verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, there's a shortage of wisdom. You know what a lack is? Like, it's a shortage. Like, it's a humble shortage. Like, I don't have it. I need help. Now, this word lack here connects it back to what we talked about last week. It's not going to be on the screen, but in verse, verse 4, it says this, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we saw this word last week. And the whole context here, again, these Jewish Christians, they're scattered because of persecution. They don't know how to live in a new place, in a new way, right? How are we supposed to live this life now? I don't know how to do this anymore. Like, what I've known forever is not the same. Life is all 
unstable around me. How am I going to go through this life? And remember last week, Jake talked about it. These trials that they were going through, this suffering that they were going through, was not meant for their comfort, but it was meant for their development. It was to lead them to maturity, perfect and complete maturity, right? Now, we know the only time that we're going to have perfect and complete maturity is when? When we're face-to-face glorified with our Father, right? So on this side of heaven, we're all lacking something. And we're lacking wisdom in a lot of situations. I don't know what to do. So there's this connection. Like There's trials going on. There's trials that lead to maturity. Now we're asking for wisdom in the midst of those trials that can lead us to maturity. So... You're in a trial. You don't know what to do. You're a follower of Jesus. And when life gets hard, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? I don't know what that situation is in your life now. It could be a wide variety of things. When you don't know what to do, what are you supposed to do? Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask God. Now, the tense of this word, we just say like, oh, just ask one time, that's good. But that's not what it was originally. The idea here is to keep on asking God. Like, you keep going back to God. You become a beggar for wisdom. You keep begging, God, I don't have it. I'm in this humble spot. I don't have it all together. I don't know what to do. God, I need to come back to you. And you keep coming back. And you keep coming back. And you don't stop coming back. You keep going. It's not just like, one time, I need some wisdom in this situation. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Let me run about doing my life how I want to live it. It's constantly coming back, expressing your dependence upon God. And here's the amazing thing. Guys, we have permission from God to ask Him for wisdom. That's awesome. God says, you can ask me. Come on. You can ask me. And how do we do it? You just ask and you beg. We just finished a series on prayer where we're going to the Lord, expressing our dependence upon Him. You go to the Lord in prayer, asking for wisdom. Later on in James, James would say it this way, James 4, 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. What a promise. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We're going to come back to that double-minded in a second. But draw near to God. You don't have wisdom Draw near to the Lord. But what do we often do when we go through trials and we don't know what to do? That's the time when we start withdrawing from the Lord, which is the exact opposite of what James is telling these Christians to do. Like, don't withdraw from the Lord in trials. Like, that's the time to go to Him. Express your humility. Express your dependence. Proverbs 9.10 says it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Where does wisdom begin? It begins with the Lord. You revering the Lord, treasuring the Lord, valuing the Lord. You want wisdom. You go ask Him. You draw near to Him. You don't know what to do in a hard situation. You draw near to the Lord. But instead, we often, instead of asking for wisdom, we ask for answers. Right? God, why are you doing this in this situation? What if the Lord decides never to tell you why? He might do that. He's actually shown to do that. In Scripture, many of you know Job, the life of Job. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you know Job's some guy and he had a lot of bad stuff happen to him, right? So Job 
was a godly man and he had a lot of wealth. And one day Satan comes to God and says, hey, you know the only reason Job's following you, right? It's because he's got a bunch of stuff. I'm paraphrasing obviously a lot here, right? Like He's got a lot. And God says, all right, you can, you can test him. You can tempt him to turn away from me. I'm going to show you he's a faithful man. He said, you just can't kill him. So what ensues in Job's life is absolutely horrific. Like when we think of suffering in our lives, like just multiply that by a whole, whole lot. Like so much bad stuff happens to Job. Well, Job's got these friends who he thought were great friends. Well, then they start being shady, all right? And they start going, Job, something's wrong with your life. Like you're not doing something right, obviously. That's why God's treating you this way. And Job's like, uh, I'm not doing anything. I still love God a lot. Like I don't know what's going on. Wouldn't it have been nice if God would have said, hey, Job, just so you know, there's this thing over here going on with me and Satan. Like you should just know that. It'll probably help you continue. Like, wouldn't that be great if Job knew why all this bad stuff was happening? Maybe. Probably might have helped him. Well, at one point, Job finally gives in to his friends. And he starts questioning God. And what is God's response? Whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you talking to? who Who put the boundaries of the oceans and the seas? Do you know who I am? And immediately, I can't imagine what Job is feeling like. Just this humble, like, I want to crawl in a hole right now because God is putting his power and glory on display. After all that, after God says, like, this is who I am, does he ever tell Job that this thing's going on with Satan? Nope. Nope. But how often, when we go through suffering and trials in our lives, we're just, God, why, why, why? James is saying, quit asking the answer, quit asking that. Like, you don't have to ask that. You don't have to know why, but you can ask for wisdom. Is it okay? Can God handle your why? Of course he can handle your why. But he's like, you're missing the perspective here. Ask for wisdom in the midst of it, rather than just asking for why you're going through it. We don't just ask for answers oftentimes, though. Instead of asking for wisdom, Jake mentioned it last week, we ask for a way out. God, get me out of this trial as quickly as possible. Change my circumstances. I need an early exit, right? But God's not asking us to necessarily exit the trial. He's asking us to wisely exist in the trial. He's asking us to wisely exist in the trial. God, don't help me get out of this trial. Give me wisdom in the midst of this trial. Now, I'm going to give you one example of how this might play out in the life of our church. We've got a lot of godly women in our church. And some of those women, before they were Christians, they married unbelieving husbands. And their husbands are still not believers. And their husbands are passive. They don't lead their family. And those ladies are in a really tough spot. And you know what would be a really easy thing to do? God, just give me an easy out. Like, let's just go the route of divorce. And there's a lot of people in this world that go, yeah, get out of that thing. Not according to the wisdom of God. Wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 7 says, no, you stick it out and you try to win this man over. But like, 
The world's wisdom says, no, this is hard. Why would you endure this? And God says, you endure it for my glory, not your own satisfaction and comfort. That's why those ladies need an incredible church to rally around them and pray for them and care for them. But in that situation, again, that's just an example of where we go. Like, I don't know what to do. I would love a way out here. And scripture, God's wisdom clearly says, don't take the easy way out. Don't take the easy way out in that situation. Now, again, this is not a sermon on marriage and divorce and all that. I'm just trying to give you an example of what this could look like. So how are we supposed to ask for wisdom? Verse 6. But let him who asks in faith with no doubting. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. You have permission to ask God for wisdom. But there's a stipulation. Hey, make sure you ask for it in faith. Now we've got to understand James' understanding of faith. Even though we're just a couple weeks into James... When James talks about faith, he's not just talking about your, the initial faith, the initial belief in God for salvation. He's saying, yes, there's an initial faith where you believed in Jesus. But the way that James is talking about faith, and he goes on to talk about faith, it's not just initial belief, but it's active belief. There's an ongoing, consistent pattern of trusting in God. So I didn't just trust God when I was five, but I'm still trusting God at 55, right? I didn't just trust God when I was in college. I'm continuously trusting God for the rest of my life. So there's this active belief, even the tagline of our series, this faith that works. We don't work for our faith, guys. We work because of our faith. Because we trusted in God, we live out this faith. So it's this, again, faith here is this continuing confidence in who God is that helps us know how to live in our lives. We can't simply expect wisdom by just articulating it. Like, okay, God, I want some wisdom today. We start demanding for wisdom. He says, let's ask for wisdom from God. You beg God for it. You lack wisdom, ask God and trust God. But then he's going to explain it for, he says, more he's going to say hey ask for wisdom in faith with no doubting and this word doubting here i think is critical to this whole understanding of this passage so he says verses uh, six and eight but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind verse eight he is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways Again, this is critical because there's only one other time in James where James uses this word. And he could have actually chosen multiple words for doubting, but this is how he uses it and will help us understand. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions? That's the same word as doubting. Distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So what James is saying is, hey, people come into your church, and when they come into your church, some of them are wealthy, some of them are poor. What you're doing is you're saying, hey, all you wealthy people, you get to sit on the front row. Like, obviously, like, 
You guys are sitting there. Most people don't want to sit on the front row, all right? But in this context, they wanted to be close. But what this church was doing, they were making distinctions between the poor and the rich. He's like, that's not okay. You don't give the rich, the wealthy, a better seat at the table. But you're making distinctions and you're separating these people. That's the same word that James is using for doubting. Because what this doubt is talking about is divided loyalties, separated loyalties. James is saying doubting here. When you ask for wisdom, ask in faith without doubting. It's not just a struggle to believe in God. It's a struggle to commit to God. Not just a struggle to believe, but a struggle to commit. Their loyalty was divided between God and other gods. Like, not just like a golden statue, but what is the other gods for you? God, I want your wisdom, but I really want the comforts of this life. I want your wisdom, but I really like having control in this life. I want your wisdom, but I really want to be significant in this life. He's going, your loyalty is divided. Yeah, you believe in God. You're not doubting whether you believe it, but you're really struggling to commit to it. And then he personifies it more. He starts out by saying, you're like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. This divided allegiance thing leads to you being just tossed about. Moment by moment, you're like, oh, I love God this moment, but I really love this the next moment. I really, really want to pursue God and his wisdom, but I really like my life, and I want to pursue what I want. He says you're, you're like the sea. You just looked at the sea. You've looked at the ocean. like It's constantly moving. The wind blows. It goes a different direction. There's just this instability, this wavering in life if you're a doubter. If your allegiance is divided. It reminds me of the story when Jesus is walking on the water. So his disciples, they're all on the boat. And it's getting late. And at one point they see this like, they think it's a ghost coming to them, right? And Peter, in all his excitement... He looks out of the boat. He's like, oh, it's Jesus. Like, this is amazing. Jesus, can I come do that? And Jesus, in his grace and mercy, is like, sure, come on, Peter. So Peter jumps out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. Like, man, what great belief that he's allowed to be a part of this miracle. This is amazing. So he starts walking, and then what happens? The wind and the waves kick in, right? This unstable context that he's in, and he starts getting worried. And as he starts worrying, he starts looking around, and he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he starts to sink. And Jesus, in his mercy, after Peter cries out, Lord, save me, Jesus reaches out his hand and says, come on, I got you. But then he uses it as a teachable moment, right? Hey, Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The wind and the waves are going everywhere. They're moving you. Yes, you initially believe, but this is about continuously trusting me, Peter. But when the wind and the waves came and the struggles of this life came, you decided, oh, I really want Jesus now, but I'm worried about everything else happening here. There's just this wavering in life. And this being tossed about, this wavering, Paul refers to this as immaturity. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 14, it says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, so leaders in the church, their job was to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Here's why. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, so here's the purpose of growing into maturity, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Like, when you're tossed about, you're living this life one moment where you're for God, one moment you're for the world. He's like, you're just living in an immature place. Sundays, you're all for God. The rest of the week, you're for yourself. For yourself. Fur. You hear the Southern come out? You fur yourself. Um, it, it, it's deep inside me, all right? So, James is making it really clear. You can't just ask for wisdom and then live life how you want to live it. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Build your house continuously trusting the Lord on a firm foundation, the solid rock of Jesus and his words and his wisdom. Don't run to the world. He says, not only are you wave tossed about, you're immature, but you're a double-minded man. Better translation might be a double-souled man. Your soul is for God and it's for other things. You have one mind toward heaven and one mind toward earth. Some of you may have read uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. In that, he has a character called Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. How many times are we facing God in one moment and the world in the next? Where our views and opinions, they just seem to contradict themselves. Where we're asking for wisdom And say, okay, God, I need your wisdom. And then we withdraw away from God and we're looking for wisdom from God in like a sign or a flashing light or a flashing billboard. He's going, wait, what are you doing? Why You asked me for it. Why are you running to other things right now? Why are you doing that? Or maybe it's not those kind of things like, God, I need your wisdom, but I'm really going to check Google first. Or... I'm actually going to ask run to my parents first or run to my friends first or that influencer on social media. They seem to have it all together. Let's see how they would react in this situation. Wait, are you, are you for the Lord and his wisdom? Are you for somebody else's opinions? We don't need more opinions from people. We need more wisdom from God. So sometimes we can be a double-minded person. 
I'm going to run to God, but I'm going to run to these other things. Or I'm going to run to God, but then I'm going to give greater human effort. Because you can read this and be like, oh, okay, I need to have more faith. I need, to not, I need to not doubt as much. So I'm going to muster up my faith and I'm going to believe harder. If I just believed better today, then I would get more wisdom. No, no. When, when, that's not how the economy of God works. Like, how did we become righteous before God? On our own works? No, never. But on Christ's righteousness. So it works the same way. We don't, we don't just muster up more faith here and believe harder. If you went back to James 4, chapter 8, we read this earlier. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. Again, just this double-mindedness. You're lacking purity of faith. It's not a single-minded faith. A pure heart, full devotion to God. And he says, ultimately, you're unstable in all your ways. One commentator says, it's like you're staggering or reeling like a drunkard. Like, that's what you're like. When you're asking for wisdom from God, but seeking the wisdom from the world, you're just staggering. You're wavering. You're inconsistent. Your loyalties are divided. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. So some of you know that I'm originally from South Carolina. That obviously became uh, very apparent just a second ago. Um, I grew up about 30 minutes from Clemson University. So I went to lots of Clemson games growing up. But I didn't go to Clemson. I went to a little school called Charleston Southern. Charleston Southern and Clemson played football last week. Charleston Southern is never going to win that game. All right? So divided loyalties in that game. Now... Then I go to seminary, I get connected to a church on staff at a church in Baton Rouge on LSU's campus. I meet my wife there. She's an LSU grad, all right? So Clemson, Charleston Southern, now LSU. Then we move to Iowa. It's like, oh, there's Iowa, there's Iowa State. Like, who do we pull for right now, all right? So my boys sit down to watch a college football game on Saturday and they go, who do we cheer for today, Dad? We don't know what to do. Who, who are we for they're so confused. Literally, I had a conversation with one of my kids yesterday, and he's like, hey, if I go to Clemson one day, but I come back here to visit, do I have to have like a split shirt, Clemson and Iowa, or Clemson and Iowa State? Like, no, you wear Clemson. That's what you do. I'm sorry. Like, like <laughs> The one thing that they do know is that we don't pull for South Carolina, and we don't pull for Alabama, all right? That's the things that they know. Is, they, they know those things aren't true in our household. But it's like, Dad, it's a new game today. Who are we pulling for today? They struggle because their loyalties are divided. They think they're loyal. I know what I know where real loyalty lies, right? Like, but their loyalty is divided. What James is trying to get across here is, hey, you want wisdom from God, but don't have divided loyalties where you're like, oh yeah, I think I like it from God, but I think I like the wisdom of the world as well. Don't go there. Don't go there. Because what's the result? Verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Must not suppose. He should not expect, don't think you'll get it. Don't think you'll get it. Now, let's be clear. These were Jewish Christians that James writing to, is writing to. So James is not questioning their salvation. He's not questioning whether they have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's not questioning whether they've received eternal life. He's questioning whether they're going to get wisdom in life or not. Okay? And when we're unstable, we just have to remember God is the stable one. He never changes. 
never changes. We can run to him. Because look back at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God graciously, generously, abundantly, liberally, without hesitation, wants to give you wisdom. That is amazing news. God, in his infinite wisdom, he has all knowledge, all knowledge of all experiences. He has total perspective. And he says, hey, if you come to me and you're begging and you're fully committed to me, I'm going to just keep pouring this out. And here's the wonderful thing about God's wisdom. The more he pours it out of his pitcher, the more there is to come. There's an endless supply of his wisdom, an infinite supply that we have access to as his children. Man, that's good news. Now, where does this wisdom come from? Proverbs 2, verse 6 says this. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom comes from his mouth. Wisdom comes from his word. We go, God, I'm begging you, please. I need wisdom in this situation. I don't know what to do in this situation. You don't just start running everywhere else. You run to God and his word. He has revealed his word to us. We have God's words. That is amazing news. Wisdom. Run to it. Don't run everywhere else. Run to the word of God. God's wisdom will never be contrary to his word. And God's word is sufficient. We don't need a bunch of other things. We don't need a bunch of other resources. Can those things help? Sometimes, yes, but don't just, if you're like, all right, well, God, hasn't give me wisdom. I better run here to my therapist. I better run here to my coach. I better run here. No, this is sufficient. Again, don't go too far there. Like, God has given us incredible revelation through other people, but it better line up with his word. Make sure it lines up with the word. But again, Why draw near to God? Because he's all-knowing. He's all-wise. He's fully loving. He's completely powerful. And he has an eternal perspective. And this is just consistent with his character that he's a gift-giving God. One of the most popular verses in all scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only son. This is who our God is. He generously gives things. He gave up his only son. Man, wouldn't he just give us wisdom? Of course. Here's an incredible thing. He gives generously to all without reproach, without finding fault. When you beg for wisdom from God, he's not going to reprimand you with stinging words. When you draw near to God and you ask for wisdom, there are no repercussions. You're not going to get mocked You're not going to get scolded. He's not going to say, Oh, finally you realized how dumb and stupid you were. That's not how our God operates at all. He's a loving father. Not a father that says, Sure, I'll give it to you, but let me throw a little stinging word to the side. Many of you may have experienced that growing up. That's not our God. He says, I'm going to give it without reproach. You're not going to get scolded. But you humbly come to your God. Humbly. 
And you know what God does to the humble? He gives grace to the humble, but he turns his face to the proud. And it says, this incredible promise, it will be given to him. It will be given to him. God gives you permission to ask for wisdom, and he says, I'll generously give it to you. You have permission to ask and a promise to get it from God. It's going to come through his word. It's going to come through people, the people of God pointing you to his word. So through prayer and a singular focused faith, the absence of wisdom in your life can be met with God's award of wisdom. You could also say it this way. Fully commit to God to generously receive wisdom from God. Fully commit to God to generously receive wisdom from God. When you're exclusively committing your life to Jesus, you are fostering a context and environment to receive the wisdom of God. So you draw near to God and you draw near to God alone. You build your life on His firm foundation. Well, there's no wavering. There's no instability. You humbly admit your lack. And then you recognize the wonder and the power and the knowledge and the love of God that He wants to give you that good gift. Because God promises generous wisdom to mature beggars. Mature beggars. We're not going and saying, God, I'll buy some, buy some wisdom from you. God, I'm demanding that you give me wisdom today. God, let me earn some of this wisdom. No, 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 no. That's not how our God operates. You humbly beg, God, I don't know what, what else to do in this situation. I need you. I'm hurting. This trial is awful. What do I do? He says, you come on. Come on, ask me. Seek. Knock. I'll give it to you. Don't just throw up a prayer for wisdom, but commit your life to God and then ask for wisdom. So, really quickly, fully commit your life to God daily. Humbly and boldly ask for wisdom when you don't have it. And then go to his word. So fully commit to God daily. Humbly and boldly ask for wisdom. And then go to his word for his revealed wisdom. Because you know what happens? If we start living our lives this way as a church, we start becoming a wise, mature church. And when we become a wise and mature church, every time a trial comes, we're not tossed about. Every time the news cycle changes, we're steady. We're joyful when trials arise. Because we're a church that runs to the Lord first, not to other places. Is that the kind of church you want to be? It's the kind of church I want to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you that we have access to your wisdom. Thank you that we can draw near to you, that you've revealed your words to us. Lord, protect us. Please protect us from running to any other allegiance or loyalty in our lives. May we quickly confess those and run to you and to you alone. And would you please give your generous wisdom to Veritas Church? We need it desperately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.